and yet many of us are not particularly good at this most basic skill. We have busy minds, don't we? But remember what it feels like when someone speaks over you. Remember what it feels like when someone takes you the wrong way. Remember what it feels like when someone completely ignores what you've just said and talks about something completely different. Words themselves may be precious or may be cheap, but listening to the words of others is a wonderful skill and a wonderful gift of love. The house we lived in at St. John's College in Auckland uh, had wasps in the ceiling, and um, I asked if these could be dealt with, please. And purely out of interest, I inquired about the method that would be used. And the person assumed I was questioning the competence of the contractor and responded sharply to me. It's upsetting to feel that someone has misunderstood you in this way. Today is Bible Sunday, and we're especially thinking of God's word, the Bible, and I'm particularly interested in how we listen, really listen to God's word. Are we good at listening for God's word? So what is God's word? Well, uh, that's actually a more complicated question than it appears. At one level, God's word is the Bible, and the Bible has shaped Western civilization as no other book has. Chesterton said that the next best thing to being really inside Christendom is to be really outside. And by that, he meant that we are the inheritors of a civilization that has been profoundly shaped in every conceivable way by the Bible. And yet fewer and fewer people realize this. They need to step outside our Western world to regain a right perspective. But there's another dimension to God's word, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the second person of the Trinitarian God. He became incarnate and was born a child at Bethlehem. The second person of the Trinity became a human being, Jesus, the word made flesh. So there's a link between the written word of God, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus Christ. The written word bears witness to Jesus. The written word explains and teaches us about Jesus. The written word points us to Jesus Christ. In this morning's gospel, Jesus said that if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The written word, you see, bears witness to the living word. But it gets more complicated because Jesus himself had a very high view of Scripture. Throughout his ministry, Jesus used the Old Testament as his source of authority. So we have the living word endorsing the ultimate importance and authority of the written word. So there's a two-way interplay of relationships here between the written word and the living word. I want us now to think about the different dimensions of the word of God. And I'm going to look at three dimensions this morning. And uh, if I'm brave, I'll test you on the way out to see if you can remember those three dimensions. The first begins with C. The third, I couldn't quite get to begin with a C. It begins with an I, two Cs and an I. But um, that's for your memory to take away. And the first of all, God's word is a creative word, the first C, creative. Think about Genesis 1 verse 3. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. The Christian faith says that in the beginning, 
God created the universe, and he did so by speaking the worlds into being. God spoke, and it was so. Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame thought he'd invented the phrase, make it so, but it's actually from Genesis. God said, make it so, and it was so. Because of Genesis chapter 1, Christians have always believed that there was a beginning to this amazing universe of ours. By contrast, the ancients believed that the universe was eternal. And why wouldn't they? There was no archaeology. There was no understanding of large-scale geological processes. There were seasons and weather, of course, but the earth itself seemed stable and immovable, as if it had always been there. But as recently as the first half of the 20th century, most Scientists held to the so-called steady-state view of the universe, popularized by Sir Fred Hoyle. But today, the standard model argues that the universe came into being through the Big Bang 14 billion years ago, give or take. This exactly squares with the Genesis account. The universe came into existence. How did this happen? We believe that it was because God made it so, and he achieved this through his creative word. Sometimes a single word can have a dramatic effect, can't it? Sometimes words are spoken and forgotten. But when God spoke his word, the universe came into being. So God's word is creative. God's word causes things to spring into being. And I'm sure that's our experience as well. God's word has changed us, has it not? And shaped us deeply. When I read about Jesus, my heart burns within me. New things are created within me. Faith springs up within me. Through God's creative word, reformation movements are born. Through God's creative word, hospitals were built. Through God's creative word, the hungry were fed and the dispossessed were advocated for. God's word is creative. But the word of God is also a confronting word. That's the second C. Think about the great prophets of the Old Testament who were sent by God to challenge and confront his people when they were in apostasy. The prophet Amos said to Israel, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. The prophet Micah was also sent. He said, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So you see, the word of God is creative, but it is also confronting. God's word came to the great prophets of the Old Testament and challenged the people to remain faithful to the terms of the covenant, to show forth in the national life of Israel the goodness and kindness and justice of God. God's word creates. God's word confronts. But the real emphasis I want to bring this morning is that God's word invites. 
Isaiah 55 verse 1, which we heard a moment ago, contain these poetic and powerful words. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy milk and wine without money and without price. The written word is full of invitations. Psalm 34 says most memorably, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Jesus said, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So come to the waters, taste and see, come to me. Invitations to come and experience Jesus Christ, the living word. What do we make of invitations? If you were to receive an invitation to a party, you would read it with joy, would you not? Someone has invited you to a celebration. They want you to be present. They have honoured you. It is an affirming and encouraging thing to be invited to a party. And it's because invitations are not coercive, are they? There is no compulsion. We can decline if we want to. Invitations are respectful. And that is the quality of God's invitation to you this morning. God says to you, come to the waters, taste and see. Come to Jesus Christ. You don't have to. You can say no. Your free will will not be violated. But do you see that God's invitation is also full of love and respect? God invites us to come to Jesus Christ because he loves us. It is not loving to ignore a beggar when you have a surplus of food. It is not loving to ignore the needs of those who yearn for meaning, purpose, and hope. Did you know that a survey was recently conducted among 16 to 19-year-olds in the UK? I read this just two days ago in the premier Christian magazine that comes to me uh, each week. So it's a very recent survey. But among the 16 to 29-year-olds in the UK, they were asked about their sense of meaning in life. And a staggering 89% said they had no meaning. No wonder society is fraying so much throughout the Western world and other, other parts of the world. There is a crisis of meaning. And within that crisis, the living word cries out, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. We who are made for God can only find rest when we rest in him. And so God's word is a creative word, making things that were not into things that are. God's word is a confronting word. God will not always allow evil to flourish. And God's word is an inviting word. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, Billy, as I said earlier, chose the gospel song for us this morning, Shine, Jesus, Shine. And it contains the most memorable phrase. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. How does God send forth his creative 
confronting, inviting word into the world? Well, he does this in many ways, but most importantly, he sends his word through his people. We are called to embody God's creative, confronting, and inviting word ourselves as Christians. We are called to make things so, to be agents of newness and goodness and love in this world of ours. We are called to confront evil and those things that detract from the freedom and flourishing of people. We are called to invite others to come and taste the Lord. Part of our vocation as Christians is to invite people through our lives and through our words to taste the Lord. As some of you will know, I've been enjoying Sheldon Vanuken's autobiography, A Severe Mercy, highly, highly recommended. Um, and it traces the story of Vanuken and his wife Davy's conversion to Christianity. He was at first very dismissive of the Christian faith, but when they moved to Oxford in the UK for study, they met no fewer than five Christians, all of whom were intelligent, warm-hearted, and friendly. He had once thought, and I quote, all Christians were necessarily stuffy, hidebound, or stupid, people to keep one's distance from. Now that assumption soundlessly collapsed. Over the next year or so, he found himself completely revising his understanding of Christianity, and it was partly because of his growing friendship and correspondence with C.S. Lewis and all his, this group of Christian friends, all of whom acted as God's creative, confronting, inviting word. That is God's call for us at St. Barnabas, to so be Christ the living word to others that they find their objections to God soundlessly collapsing. What a memorable combination of words that is. As they taste and see that the Lord is good. I began by asking, how are you at listening? I closed by asking, do you hear God's word to you? Will you accept his invitation? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.